Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement Podcast where it's all about inspiration, education, diving deep into the stories of entrepreneurs that are making it happen. This episode is an incredible episode because I'm actually talking to the guy that was announced as the biggest business coach in the world, Brad Sugars. Brad resides in Las Vegas. He's originally from Queensland, Australia. He's been in business for 30 odd years now educating people. He's self-published 17 books and done a deal with a New York publisher which was the biggest deal in history. He will talk about that as well. An incredible entrepreneur where his action coach brand has a thousand action coaches worldwide in 70 countries. There's so much to unpackage in this episode including an adversity of being caught up at the wrong place at the wrong time in Las Vegas in 2017 in that time when there was a huge massacre there at music festival we're going to talk about that too i'm super excited about today's episode with brad sugars Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement podcast where we're interviewing inspirational entrepreneurs, business leaders, diving deep into their stories and pulling out wisdom, educating people about all things life, all things business. I'm super excited to have a very special guest today. He's been a bit of a mentor to me over my business journey. I read and I started my business journey back in 2002 and I used to learn how to do business from this guy from all his books. In fact, he's published 17 and self-published 17 books and done an incredible book deal um, that he can talk about later. He was regarded as the number one business coach in the world by Entrepreneur Magazine. He's the founder of Action Coach, which has business in over 60 countries and over a thousand offices worldwide. He's presented all around the world. He's based in Vegas and is an incredible business leader that's making things happen. I will say in regards to my experience, 20 years ago I learned every single little bit of business from Brad with his books on leads and my, one of my favourite books, Billionaire in Training, which I really took a lot out of, of building business for cash flow and investing into property and I now have 11 houses and a, a property portfolio valued at $7 million last year. Leverage is something I've learnt from him and I've been in the franchising industry for a long time as well. So Brad, I've probably missed a fair few things out there, but welcome to the show and I'd love you to fill in the gaps and tell a bit about your story. Yeah, dang buddy, you did a pretty good did pretty good job of it there. Um, a couple of things that are missing though, uh, fa- uh, husband and father of five, so five kids. We do live here in Las Vegas, not Bris Vegas where I grew up originally. <laughs> Um, so now I'm an Oz American, half and half, I guess. And uh, business-wise, I think I've had everything from uh, uh, pizza business to dog food to uh, you name it. I've either been involved in it or bought it. I, mostly what I do today is not so much the coaching. Most of what I do is uh, buying companies and taking them global. So that's more of what I do today. I used to do a lot more of buying broken companies and fixing them. But now what I look for is a good company that might be in sort of one city or one town or even one country and, and work out how I can take it into, 
you know, 30, 40, 50 countries uh, is possibly the simplest way to describe what I'm doing today. Cool. And I, I guess, um, you know, action coach for me, that whole business coaching world was really important for a young startup guy all the way back in 2002. And, you know, you've been able to build that as an international business. Can you talk a bit about that journey? And I was very much aware of trying to, you know, your business is worth zero dollars because it's not making a profit and you were going in to fix that. Um, but, you know, talk a bit about action coach. As, as a brand and, and the international expansion, the challenges, anything you want to share there because that's, you know, been quite a big business um, of yours. Yeah, well, look, we, we just opened in Russia with Action Coach. So now we're coaching in, I believe, 81 countries and uh, three of them communist countries, which is kind of cool to sit back and think that here we are in China and Vietnam and Russia teaching them entrepreneurialism. Um, that's kind of a fun thing. But from a brand perspective, uh, we started out as a company called Action International and we had to rechange to Action Coach because branding of that, that sort of a boring name didn't really stick, whereas Action Coach is slightly different and therefore people sort of can remember it and that type of thing. And, um, but we've taken that brand now on a journey of, you know, when you, when you first started out, you got to remember I started 26, almost 27 years ago doing this when no one even understood what business coaching was, let alone people had a business coach type thing. So we didn't just have to brand, we had to build a, a profession, we had to build an industry. And in doing so, we had to educate the market. And I think that's where I spent many years writing for Entrepreneur Magazine for that simple understanding and for people to learn what is a business coach and why do I need a business coach? And I think recently we've transitioned from, oh, you're failing, you should get a coach to, oh, they're doing well, they must have a coach. Mm -hmm. I think we've transitioned the profession. But as a brand, when you're evolving internationally, and this is one thing I try and teach a lot of Aussies, which I know a lot of your podcast listeners are, from Australia, but many around the world as well. I think it's, it's one of the craziest things about Australians is they are great entrepreneurs, but they don't think globally. You know, they think way too small, way too local. And when I first moved here to America, people were like, why are you moving to America type thing? I said, well, if I want to be in the biggest pond there is, I want to be in the biggest business pond available and I want to play that game. I don't want to be the biggest business coach in Australia. I want to be the biggest and best in the world. Mm. And so I think that having that desire, but also having come from Australia where, you know, you've got very high wages, massive cost of transportation, uh, ridiculous cost of uh, vacations every year for all of your staff. Um, paying them more when they're on vacation than when they're actually at work. You know, all of that craziness of Australia makes Australia a very hard market to be successful in. And if you can be successful in Australia, I believe you'll, you'll crush it around the world. Mm. And I, I guess... Um business coaching yeah was quite probably foreign you know you were the only business coach I knew back in 2002 um, as a young guy in business but you were doing a lot more around education as well you were running a lot of events um, you were teaching um, I, I called it very simple business fundamentals like leads you know conversion and breaking it down to a granular level and um, you know one of the biggest takeaways that I really took about out of your business is around a, a formula you can elaborate on that but it was don't just get 
10% profit every year and just aim for the collective to be a 10% profit. Improve leads by 10%, conversion by 10%, increase average dollar by 10%, um, retention by 10% and look at the effect that that has. Is, is that something that you would really encourage people to understand when they're building their business? Well, yeah, it's called my five ways formula. If people jump on YouTube, they can type in Brad Sugar's five ways and they'll see it right there. But the five ways formula is, it was my first ever book, Instant Cash Flow. So maybe that was where you found it back in those days. I think I wrote that in about 97 or 98. And uh, we put it again in Buying Customers, one of the more recent books. And the, the philosophy behind it is very simple. The word leverage is mathematically divide to multiply. If you break stuff down and fix each small segment, then the overall impact is quite massive. And so what we're looking at with leads by conversion, and you know, most business owners don't even know how many leads they're getting today or how many leads they get this week. They don't know their actual conversion rate. They can guess at it, and they'll guess above what it is in most cases. They don't know their repeat business rate. They don't know their average dollar sale. and They don't know their margins. These five items that create your, your number of customers, your revenues and your profitability, if you don't know those five items, how do you improve them? And that's where when we work on that segment of a business, the marketing segment of a business, we really break it down into those five distinct uh, areas and say these are the five areas where we have to get massive improvement in order to get this thing really growing. Now, that being said, um, the concept of leverage is even more important than just that formula, the concept of leverage. When I first started teaching it, I taught it with the mathematical formula, divide to multiply, or the, the simple statement of ever more with ever less. But it, people didn't really understand that. So what I came to is a simple definition to teach it, and that is do the work once, get paid forever. Mm. So, you know, why do I teach investing in real estate? Well, you buy the house once and you get paid forever and ever and ever, amen, and your minimum return is 400%. If you put 20% down and over the next 20 years, someone pays the mortgage off for you, well, mm. you put in 20,000, it's worth at least 100 that you bought it for. It might have even gone up in value and people think that's the most important thing in real estate. It doesn't matter if it goes up in value as long as someone else pays it off for you. Mm. Um, if you understand the, the, the formula I teach of do the work once, get paid forever, you understand that in business, you're not trying to just build a business. You're trying to build a business that works without you so that you can do the work one time, build it up over three, five, seven years, and then let it run and, and make you money forever. You know, people always look at me with Action Coach, and, and uh, I remember when Action Coach was 10 years old, I retired at that point in time, and I left my CEOs to run the company. Uh, I stepped back in a couple of years ago because I was bored, and uh, I'm about to step back out again, I believe, and let, let the company be run by other people. Because, you know, I, I currently, and it's, people seem to think it's weird, but I run uh, eight companies. Actually, we just bought a share of a ninth. Uh, but I do that in two days a week. So, you know, I work from nine till three on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Hence why we're doing this interview now at this time, because it's, mm. it's Thursday here. So there we yeah. go. And you just touched on a really, you know, you talk about eight companies. I remember one of your really um, profound takeaways was about, you know, there's employee, then there's a business owner, and then, you know, like there's like different stages of entrepreneurship and you're at like your, your highest stage where you're now at that investor stage. And I've started investing in a few private companies over the last couple of years because I'm trying to get into that level as well. Do you want to talk about the different stages of, you know, entrepreneurship, et cetera? 
Yeah, sure. Look, and, and that goes back to the book you mentioned, Billionaire in Training, where we go through that ladder and you start out as a student and you're at level minus one on the entrepreneurial ladder because as a student, you're a, you're a cost to society, basically. Either your parents or the community pays for your schooling. Now, what, why do people invest in your schooling? Well, so that you can become an employee. We build you to a point where you can become an employee and you can pay your taxes. Now, a lot of businesses need employees. They need people to do the work and they need people that will do the job and, you know, pay taxes. Now, unfortunately for the majority of citizens, they never get past that level. Um, they never learn how to go past that. And you can't out-earn your learning. You just can't. Um, and so what we teach, though, is then how to go to become self-employed. And that level of self-employed understands that what you're doing when you have a job is your job is an apprenticeship to your own business. So you should have multiple jobs. You should have a job in sales at some point and get taught sales by someone else who's paying you to learn it. You should have a job in marketing, in finance. You should have a job in, you know, purchasing or something. You should have different jobs so that you can learn all the aspects of running your own business. That's really what having a job should be. It's an apprenticeship that you get paid for. Now, if you're good at your job, you'll get paid even more for it, but, but then... Now, self-employed, you get onto the seesaw of business. You, you sort of do the work, make the sale, do the work, make the sale. You know, you've got to, you're always either selling or doing and you're running backwards and forwards on that seesaw because there's, you know, there's only one person in the business. And, and, you know, the crazy thing is you think you're a business owner at that level. You're not. You're self-employed and you work for the craziest person you know. <laughs> um, that, that's the very basic fundamentals of it. Now, your job is as a self-employed person, which unfortunately about 80% of people are self-employed end up giving up and going back and getting a job. Now, a lot of people say they failed. No, most of them give up. Most of them don't actually fail. Most of them say, you know what the heck with this? I'm going to go back and get a job where it's easier than what I'm doing right now. Uh, and they work for someone else. And uh, some people graduate, they start to employ others. And once you start employing others, you realize just how uh, much more there is to learn. Because see, it's self-employed. You think of what you've got to learn to be a good self-employed business owner. You've got to learn sales and marketing and uh, you've got to learn purchasing and legals and reading a contract and you've mm. got to learn IT. You've got to learn social media. You've got to mm. learn marketing and all of it. You've got to learn all that stuff. Mm. And so then when you get to employing other people, now you've got to learn leadership and recruiting and management and systemization and business planning and and all of these other things that you have to learn. And so that's where the level of self-employed becomes the level of manager. And so you go from level zero as an employee to level one self-employed, level two manager. Then you hit level three, which is the game, which is to build, become an owner. And my definition of a business, uh, you know, kind of butts heads with a lot of people because they don't understand what I'm truly trying to get to. But my definition is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. If you have to be there, it's not a business, it's a job, yeah. you know, and, and the challenge for a lot of people is they just can't see how to make a business that works so they don't have to, you yeah. know, I said, well, hang on, here was me. I was the only business coach and only presenter for Action Coach back 27 years ago. Now, I don't have to do any of it, mm. you know, I don't even have to run the company if I don't want to, you know, if I enjoy it and I enjoy doing the seminars still. So I do 38 of those a year, that's it. I do 38 events and that keeps me busy enough and, you know, I, I enjoy that. Now, once you hit the level of owner, now you've got a business that's working without you. You've got passive income and business is the best passive income source on the planet. Uh, far better than real estate, far better than shares, you know, anything that people tell you. 
you've got that passive income, you, you now have to learn how do I actually invest this passive income? Mm. Um, that's, that's a very big part of um, the success factor. And you've got to learn three types of investments, businesses, real estate, and shares, because different points in the cycle of the market, different things need to be, um, uh, different things are performing in different ways. When business is performing and real estate's not, or when real estate's performing and business isn't, and so on and so forth. Um, and then finally, you hit the level of entrepreneur, where now it's not about investing your money, which is what an investor is. Now at the level of entrepreneur, it's about building things that other people invest in, doing real estate developments that other people buy or invest in, doing businesses that you sell shares in, or building franchises or licenses. And these are the mm. sort of entrepreneurial tasks when you get to that top level of the ladder. Mm. And, and one of the things, you know, mm. and, and one of the things, you know, franchising, I guess, was a highly popular business model in the early 2000s. And I, I clearly remember you talking about the selling the bit of paper, you know, and, and scaling your business with a franchising model. Um, where do you see that? industry's gone over the last 10 years is it still you know a really popular model is yeah what's the challenges of franchising or, or is it in rapid growth still collectively you know franchising is a wonderful business model and I, I couldn't be more happy to be in it but also so is licensing so is the rental business model so is and so on there's many different business models that are great models um, and I talk about that in my latest book, uh, Pulling Profits Out of a Hat. There's a section there on strategy. But within franchising, what I've seen happening is uh, far more professionalism, you know, um, both from uh, governments reg uh, regulating professionalism into the industry and just the industry bodies self-regulating and creating more education platforms for franchise executives to become certified franchising executives and actually understand the industry. Uh, I've seen a shift in the types of franchises, though. Um, you know, we, where we used to see pretty much only uh, cleaning companies and uh, restaurants, now you've got every type of white-collar franchise. Mm. The gymnasium business has had a massive explosion in the smaller gyms because of franchising. Mm. Um, yeah, I see it. That the, I guess the other thing is a bit more globalisation of it. Our partners in India franchise India, our partners in Middle East franchise Middle East, are, you know, these are groups that are bringing Western franchises into that marketplace at a rapid rate of knots. So where a lot of the franchises don't seem to be growing as much in their home markets, their international expansion has been quite rapid. You know, we've been in the top 30 international franchises for a lot of years now because of just the breadth of where we are. We're in more countries than almost any franchise, you know. Um, we, we, and, that, and that's just a big thing. We aim to be in 120 countries. Um, and our goal for that was simply because at the time we said it, McDonald's was in 119. So they were, well, I might as well do one <laughs> better than McDonald's. So, uh, you know, they, that's the sort of thing. I think the franchise business though, unfortunately is, is has historically had a group of people that franchised a business that didn't wasn't successful mm. so instead of even proving the business was successful they just went and franchised it and thought oh, i'll make a lot of money franchising this way well, god is that is the business itself even successful let's let's start there yeah yeah so that's kind um, of but i love that industry i think it's a wonderful industry 
And, and well, let's move into books. I'm actually just about to publish my first book, um, which is around you know, a bit about this whole podcast story. But you self-published 17 books, and if I'm correct, you did a the biggest deal in history with a publisher as well. Um, can you want to share a bit about your books? Um, doing that deal uh, and why doing that deal and, and even dive a little bit into your latest book, Pulling Profits Out of a Hat. Yeah, look, when I first started the business book scene in Australia, there was like two publishers that published business books and they might have done 10 a year between them. So here I was trying to get these books out. So, you know what, I'll just self-publish. And when I'd hit, I think it was 12 books, maybe 14, uh, 12 or 14, uh, I, I decided, you know what, I've sold, and I, I was, you know, Dimmicks loved me, all of the bookstores loved me because Whitcools in New Zealand, they all loved me because I'd go and do seminars and they'd sell a lot of books. And, um, but then when I came to the United States, I said, listen, I'm not going to self-publish there. And I went and uh, got myself a publishing agent and then went and hit the, the big ones. And McGraw-Hill, New York, bought all 14 of my books uh, in one go. So they'd never bought 14 business books off of anyone ever in one deal. So they, but, but they did, they bought and published all 14 of them internationally. So uh, now we're at 17. Yeah. The latest two, um, uh, the wealth coach, I wrote that to help uh, young people learn about money. And I gave it to one of my friends and said, Hey, would you give this to your teenagers? Tell me what you think of it. And he read the book and he said to me, you know what? I can't give that to my teenagers. What do you mean? He said, well, I don't know any of that stuff. How could I just give it to them? I have to read it first. So I actually had to rewrite the book so that adults, uh, it made sense for adults and kids to learn and understand the process of creating wealth, how wealth actually happens to people in, uh, in the world. And then the latest one, pulling profits out of a hat, because what we were looking at was a lot of our clients have what's called exponential growth, year on year, you know, cumulative growth. And they scale the business. And so when you see a business that scales, it was like, well, how is that business scaling? How, do, how are they getting that exponential growth? So my co-author, Monty, and I sat down and uh, over two years, we put together a case study on a lot of our clients that were doing it and how they did it and what were the five core disciplines that led to a business that actually had exponential growth. And we use the term discipline because... You know, you see a lot of these business books where, oh, here's this company and it's had this massive growth. Well, as long as you're employing the discipline, you'll continue to do that. But if you stop being disciplined in that area, you will go backwards. And that's why it's, it's, it's very important to every business to stay on each discipline regularly. And, yeah, I, I guess... Um uh, one thing that I really, because it's a passion of mine, and I probably it was drummed off. Oh, there's a book, guys. So pulling profits out of a hat. When you check Brad out at the end, you'll be able to, um, you know, go and have a look at all his. But but with with your books, you really like had them so niched into different topics. I remember, you know, there was a book just on cash flow, and there was a book just on that. So you know, that's quite a amazing strategy because you get someone like myself that wants to learn you learn all about cash flow then it's just a natural progression into lead gen and etc if you didn't learn lead generation and promotions then conversion rate didn't make any sense so you needed to learn conversion rate then once you got that you had to get repeat business and so when, when i wrote the book looking at and each of them went through the sort of top 10 strategies that you can use so when we went into repeat business 
just literally just called instant repeat business, really complex naming of my books. Um, <laughs> you know, you sat down and you said, well, what does a business need to do to get that level of repeat business? And some businesses, they needed to restructure the way they sell their product or service or even add in other products or services because they, they were built around a single sale type business. Mm. That, that's not really a business. That's a promotion. If you've got to consistently get new customers, business is tough because Profit in business comes from repeat business. That's just the very simple nature of the way business works. Getting a new customer costs money. And by the time you've bought that customer, um, uh, hence that book that there, where is it? Uh, yeah, buying customers. Um, when you sit down and start thinking about buying customers, which we just released uh, version 2.0 of that one, uh, you, you start thinking that a business needs to understand how to invest its money to buy a customer. So if you're investing $100 in an ad, it's got to produce well more than that in order for it to be successful. Mm. And I guess while we're talking about this now, I do want to talk about property because it is a passion of mine and I did, you know, really take away a lot out of your, you know, philosophies around um, property in those early days and I've been investing now since 2002. But you talk about buying customers Back in 2002, buying customers is totally different to what people do in buying customers now. How have you seen business models change, or not necessarily business models, but how they influence a social media? And there was a while where I was, you know, following all your business movements, and you did mention you retired. That may be the reason I didn't see you a lot, but you know, you've come back and doing all, all your drive times and all these things now. Is that something because you're, you know, it keeps you excited, you're doing it, um, like, yeah, just talk a bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the marketing has got a lot harder and a lot easier. Now, it's got a lot harder because, you know, when I first started out, you had three radio stations, four TV stations, one newspaper, that was it, you know, it was like, okay, that's where you can advertise, all other stuff you can't do, so it was like, that was your choice. And it made it harder because you had to get it to work with uh, the, the limited volume or the limited methodologies. And that's why direct marketing became a thing and, and you know, newsletters and direct mail and all of that. Mm. Now, technology has moved it to a point where now I can niche down my marketing. I can actually target 40 of the best perfectly targeted people for my business so instead of it being a business where you had to spend a lot of money to hit a massive number of people and hopefully get to that small group that, that would buy from you, now you have to spend a lot of money on managing and have people doing the work, managing literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of marketing campaigns, targeting very small groups of people. We're just testing, I'm putting out a new program called 30X, 30 minutes a day with me for 30 days to get 30 years business knowledge. And, um, our advertising for that, for example, I, I believe that the testing phase has been over 200 different ads tested. Right. You know, when you think about testing 200 ads back 20 years ago, there's no way in the world that would have ever happened. Yeah. Today, testing of marketing could be done with a $5 budget, uh, jump on Google AdWords or Facebook advertising or LinkedIn advertising, and boom, you'll have a result in the first hour or two telling yeah. you whether or not your ad is any good or it's awful. Yeah. So we, we now it's much harder in that we have to do a lot more management of it and a lot more um, detail orientation, but it's a lot easier that you can actually get exactly to whom you want. 
And when I sit down and look at those ads that the team is building for 30X, their targeting is so minute in some of these things. You know, Mm. these ads are only for people that own hairdressing salons. And these ads are only for people that own beauty salons. And these ads are only for people. Do you know what I mean? It's so targeted, makes it much harder and much easier. Now, when it comes to social media, you know, I, I think that, if people understand marketing today, the two most important things you can have is testimonials and uh, ratings. If you've got, if you don't have any good testimonials, your business will get beat up. And I learned this lesson the hard way when the internet first started becoming a thing. I didn't know to go and get all my best customers to record video testimonials and put them up online for me or even write that sort of stuff. I didn't know to get ratings and things. And, you know, I had a couple of people beat me up and now it's like, Oh, all my best customers are now writing about me and it's like, okay, well now all my customers tell the world about me. Everyone sees what good stuff I do mm. rather than one or two people who try and pretend that, that uh, you know, there's a negative out there in the world. And so re- testimonials are vital. Ratings as well. I ask business owners, tell me, what is your actual Google rating? And you go on, when someone searches you on Google, what's your rating? How many stars do you have out of five? And they're like, I don't know. And that's scary. It's scary that you don't know what your Google rating is. Very, very scary. Yep. And um, are you a lot more present or a lot more visual now online because of the th- uh, the 30X thing or like is it something that you're just, you know, it's a challenge or? You know what? Uh, with five kids, I decided to stop going out on the road as much so I don't do live events anywhere near as much. So what I do now is I can sit in my house right here. I'm at home, I'm going to go and pick the kids up from school in a little while. And, you know, I'll be sitting here doing a podcast and your podcast will reach hundreds or thousands of people. That to me is a lot simpler methodology than me having to get on a plane and fly to the other half of the world to do a seminar in Germany or in, you know, or down in Mexico or Chile or something like that. Yeah. And we are moving into property now. Um, that is a passion of mine. I love, you know, sit, people are going out on Friday night. I get on to propertyrealestate.com or something like that and look for good deals. Um, you're, you, you've been big in property and billionaire in training was build your business for cash flow, invest into property shares or, you know, t- that next level companies. In the U.S., did you know one of the things I thought maybe Brad's in the U.S. because the property deals over there that he could do. But um, you, you, you've been a big property investor, and I'd love to hear about your theories for that. Yeah, and and actually, we just sold our property management company down in Texas, which is an interesting uh, part of it. Listen, real estate is, if I can explain it in the simplest way possible to someone, right? If I said to you, and let's actually you and me role play this, Craig, Craig. I want you to buy this share in Microsoft, but you'll only ever have to pay 20% of the value of the share. Someone else will pay for 80% of the share of Microsoft for you, but you have to wait 20 years to get it. Would you like to buy this share of Microsoft and only pay 20% of it? Absolutely. Right. Why would you want to do that? Well, because someone else is going to pay for 80% of it for you. Now, everyone gets their head caught up in, oh, I'm not sure if it'll go up or down. Mm. Who cares? Really, who cares? As long as you can have a tenant that pays the mortgage. And this is the thing that people say, oh, tenants pay rent. No, they don't. Tenants don't pay rent. They pay your mortgage for you. Hmm. So your mortgage is paid off over 20 years or 25, depending upon what you do. Now, in the beginning, you might have to put in a few dollars every month to help pay the mortgage off. You might have to in the beginning. 
But as rent goes up over a period of a year, two years, five years, the rent now covers all the costs and the mortgage. And 20 years from now, that thing's fully paid off. And you've probably been collecting some money along the way as some of the rent paid more than the mortgage as the rent went up over the 20 years. Gee shucks. Mm. No, when people play the game of Monopoly the first time around, they're really worried. Oh, how many should I buy? Should I buy this one? Oh, no, that's the purple one. They're awful. You know, <laughs> I want to get the dark blue ones. You know, and, and that's, but by the, by the third or fourth time around the board, they're like, is it for sale? Yes, I'll buy it. Give it to me. <laughs> that's right. and, and that's people who really understand real estate understand that the, the only way you can do a bad deal in real estate is if it's a deal where you're not going to have a tenant paying the mortgage for you. Yep. Now, if you, can buy every, if you can buy markets where it's easy to get tenants, then you'll always have someone paying the mortgage off for you. Mm. And that's what I always suggest to people. And that's my book, The Real Estate Coach, was written to help people understand how to get into real estate and how to, how to start there. And, you know, mm. once a year I do my masterclass where I teach people buying and selling companies and uh, buying into real estate and investing in real estate. Because whilst that methodology of put in 20% and they pay you the other 80%, so you make 400% return is... Mm. I mean, anyone who doesn't buy real estate after understanding that is just stupid. They're just stupid at that point. Because, <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have enough money to say to raise a deposit. Well, then work harder, get a part-time job, and buddy, get some money to make a deposit on a house. Go and buy one in, in, you know, out of whoop whoop. Don't, don't try and buy one in downtown Sydney on day one. Start with what you can afford, and you know, go from there. And people, and then unfortunately, people read. Uh, and I love Robert, but I disagree with him on this point. They read Robert Kiyosaki's book and he says, you know, your house is not an asset. That's absolute rubbish. Your own home is the best asset you could ever buy. Mm. You know, why? A, the, the, uh, the interest is cheaper. B, if you don't have to, you're paying the mortgage off of a house, it may have better to be paying the mortgage off a house you own than one someone else owns. Yeah. I mean, that's just, why would you pay someone else's mortgage when you could pay your own bloody mortgage? I mean, mm. that's... It's just silly that people seem to think their own home isn't, a, isn't an asset. But again, you can learn so many tricks of the trade within all of that to build wealth even greater. Down in New Zealand, uh, one of my students in New Zealand, Ron Hoi Fong, Ron's done a phenomenal job at teaching uh, other people. I'm the patron of their group down there. In Auckland, New Zealand, as a group of students, they now own over a billion dollars worth of real estate in Auckland alone. Wow. You know, I love having students like that that go out and they just use a very simple strategy and it's a strategy of buying a two-bedroom apartment that is quite large and has a formal dining, turning it into a three-bedroom apartment. And hey, presto, you just increase the value by 20 to 30%, depending upon the suburb that you're in. Mm. I mean, these are, these are things that, if I can be really blunt, Craig, if mm. you don't learn money, don't expect to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you can't, you can't out-earn your learning is probably the simplest way to put that. And I, I, people keep bitching and moaning about the results they didn't get for work they didn't do. Um, and I'm not talking about hands-on work. I'm talking the learning work. The learning work of money is the hardest work of money. Yeah, look, and even like banks, you know, you're using other people's money there to build your wealth too. Like I remember one of my um, houses now, I've probably put $30,000 in and the um, it's doubled over the last 10 years and, you know, that doubling is worth half a million dollars you know and that was just off me using 30,000 of my own money it's it just seems like a no-brainer but it is about learning you only know what you only know yeah and what you don't know in money is generally what's going to beat you up so yeah. you know but stick to your knitting do good pick a niche and get your rules you know I, I 
I'm a firm believer if you're going to be an investor, you need a set of rules. And that is a written document of this is what I will invest in. This is what I won't invest in. If it meets these criteria, I will invest in it. Yeah. If you don't have that, you're not an investor, you're a gambler. Okay? Yeah. And the other is a niche or a niche. You've got to pick. You know, this is the area. I remember for me, I had, uh, in Brisbane, there was Woodridge, then there was Ipswich. You know, there's, you pick what you're good at and stick with it yeah and just and this this podcast is about you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot yeah it's fair to say you've absolutely lived to that to a t but um there is one situation that you've had to experience which would be ridiculously traumatic and it was on your website so i want to ask you about that you were in the wrong place at the wrong time um, a couple of years ago uh, for the mass shooting Route 91. How, if you if you can just put it into your own words, that experience, but also, you know, like was there any awakenings or was there? Yeah, I'd love you to just if you if you can share a bit about that. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, it's you know, it's my wife and I were both there having a great time. We love country music and. Uh, um, it's, you know, it was a, unfortunately for me, it was the second time, uh, first time I was held at gunpoint was in Mexico. And then this was the second time under fire. Um, I think that, you know, and, and I don't try and understand what happened, how it happened. I don't try and do that. I, I know what happened for us. Um, as the sheriff here said, if you try and get into the head of a madman, all you'll do is become mad. Mm. Um, you know, I think that we were extraordinarily lucky. You know, we were very lucky. We were under fire for about eight minutes of the 11 minutes, I think. So um, when we got out, though, we got separated. And that was probably one of the most traumatic experiences for both of us. I didn't know where my wife was. She didn't know where I was. And, you know, not knowing that was just harrowing until I finally found her. But we were were also doubly lucky in the fact that... um, Two or three weeks later, we found out um, that my wife was pregnant. Right. So um, our baby daughter, Riley, became the youngest survivor of Route 91. We didn't even know Lauren was pregnant when we were there. Um, and so that gave us a very good reason to move on and, and move on well. And I think that uh, I think without Riley, it might have been a bit tougher. Uh, yeah. It might have been a bit harder. But... You know, it's taken a lot of counselling and I'm very happy to admit taking a lot of counselling and a mm. lot of therapy to get through because, you know, as, as much as I thought in the beginning, oh, yeah, I'm fine, it's okay. You started seeing you, I started seeing myself reacting to situations in a way that I wouldn't normally have and, and uh, that was not good. So, yeah. Mm. yeah, seeking the help of professionals. And I think that's, it's interesting though that mentally I thought I didn't need to, you know, with mental health, I thought I didn't need to get the help of a professional, but when it comes to business, I'll turn to professionals every single day, mm. you know, creating click funnels for this new program. I go and find the best click funnel guy in the country and I, and I hire him, <laughs> you know, I'm creating some new video stuff and it's like, I went and just hired the best video guy that I know that, to be able to do that. And yeah. Here I was thinking I didn't need that. And here I am running the biggest business coaching company in the world. Where mm. every day I say to people, you've got to hire the professionals to help you do it. So, 
mm. uh, yeah, seeking the help of a professional. Yeah, look, I, th- I really appreciate you sharing with that. And, you know, these type of moments, um, you know, they are life-changing and they are put life into perspective in lots of ways too. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, uh, we, we had a still... The number of our friends whose life changed dramatically, not because of being there, but just because they knew we were yeah. and just seeing what happened. Because now, like, people will come and have conversations with me and even one of my wife's friends was visiting uh, the other day and they're in the gun business and they're like, you know, I don't know how, I don't know if we, are you guys going to be upset if we talk about guns and stuff? And it's like, mm. no, no, I'm, I'm very fine with it because I have a very logical solution for America and guns or the world and guns, you know. I'm happy for you to own a gun if you can get insurance for it. Treat it like a car. If you can get a license and get insurance, congratulations. And mm. most people just wouldn't be insured for it. So yeah. as simple as that. Most of the crazies out there would not be able to get insurance and therefore not get a gun. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And just uh, usually um, when we finish each episode, I like to just sort of ask a few questions like do you have a mentor now like you're the mentor of many people around the world do you have a mentor that you go to or you've learnt off or who taught you what you know yeah I have a bunch of them actually um but three I work with most often one in finance one in business and one in personal um but everyone see I'm, I'm lucky in that I run a business coaching company so I have a thousand plus business coaches around the world and each and every one of them is learning new things every day and putting up new learning content every day. And so I'm watching and learning. Um, you know, I'm still listening to a book about, about a book a week, maybe sometimes more, maybe sometimes less, but about a book a week. I used to read a book a week. Now I just listen to them on Audible. Uh, makes my life a whole lot simpler. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I, a mentor can be found anywhere. Um, and, and if you don't have a great one, just pick up a book, you know, start there, mm. subscribe to the podcast, start there, you know, whatever you need to do to go and do it. I saw you interviewed Travis Bell the other day. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many great people out there that are educators. And the wonderful thing about the internet now is you can stop watching crazy cat videos and start watching great videos on how to grow and become wealthy. And, you mm. know, within a few weeks, you can have totally revolutionized your thinking with online learning these days. Yeah. And and when you started your business and business journey, did you have people who, or was it just, I'm just going to trial and error and learn all this myself in, in the field? A lot of it was that. I was lucky that my dad was very common sense smart. Um, but, you know, in the early days, I studied anyone I could get my hands on. You know, when I was reading Drayton Birds and, and uh, stuff like these, these guys that don't even print anymore, reading reading stuff that just... John Caples and, and Claude Hopkins, these who wrote books in the 20s, 30s, 60s, 70s. You know, I was just studying every single book I could get my hands on to learn. Because as Jim Rohn put it very simply, he said, you know, the more, the more you learn, the more you earn. It's as simple as that. He said, if you read a book a week for the rest of your life, I guarantee you'll be a millionaire within 10 years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not a hard thing to do to read a book a week. No. But, you know, people say, oh, I can't read a book a week, but they can go to the pub one day a week or they can watch an entire <laughs> series of TV and binge watch on Netflix one series a week. So, uh, yeah. What about the best piece of advice along your journey that's just stuck with you that you always come back to? Uh, Jim Rohn, easily Jim Rohn. Never wish your life were easier. Wish that you were better. Yeah. And what about your worst piece of advice? 
You know, most of the worst advice was never advice. It was people trying to talk you out of your dreams and goals. Yeah. You know, um, when, when you look at the scenarios of success, successful people will encourage you. Yeah. Um, the ones who've never gone after their dreams and goals to let someone who's given up on their dreams, talk you out of yours is kind of weird. <laughs> That's right. Um, what about your favorite book of all time? Not including your own. Uh, dang favorite of all time. Probably my life in advertising and scientific advertising. It's two books in one by Claude Hopkins. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was the starting point of me really understanding marketing, which once you understand marketing, business becomes easy. Yeah. And what about um, what's next for Brad Sugars? You started talk. You did talk a bit about it through the podcast, but from here forward, and where do we find more about you? Um, well, finding more about me, any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, not, not so much Pinterest. I'm not really a Pinterest <laughs> kind of guy. Um, you'll find me on any of those or bradsugars.com or you can jump on actioncoach.com if you'd like to find one of my coaches in your area and help them help you with your business. Uh, or amazon.com. You can always find us on Amazon. All the books are there, audible.com. So yeah, there's a bunch of them. Uh, what's next? Uh, look, most of what's keeping me busy is uh, my oldest kid's about to go off to college. The baby's only one. So being father of five and a husband, that keeps me very busy. But business-wise, uh, we're in the process of uh, selling a couple of businesses. Um, so that will free up and maybe we'll buy a couple more or maybe we'll take a bit less work. But uh, nine of them right now. It was, it, was, it was nine, I saw one went down to eight and then back up to nine, bought another one or a share of another one. So hmm. we'll see. The latest, uh, latest two purchases, uh, our commercial cleaning business, which is based out of Melbourne, which is uh, literally today, the guys at the Franchise Expo in uh, the UK. And uh, so I'll be chatting with them soon to see how they're going on, on that, but opening that business in the UK. Um, uh, our, our food truck business, we just bought into a food truck business here in the States and going to expand that nationwide so that'll be a lot of fun as well wow so lots going on and look just from my point of view you've been as you've found out in the uh start of the show how much i have followed your journey and learned a lot through reading your books and following your content and just really appreciate you taking the time to jump on because i know that you're a very busy man and we do have a common friend in travis bell uh travis and i really were side by side nearly competitors but really helped each other along our journeys in business as well so that's uh the association there with travis and um yeah really appreciate you jumping on to this uh episode today and and thanks for everything Craig, wonderful to be with you, buddy. And for any of you, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe to the podcast. There's only great content here. Go back and download all the old ones too. There's some great ones in there. I listened to a couple of them on the weekend. Wow, what a powerful episode with Brad. There's so much to talk about and so much to take out of that episode. As you could probably tell, I've uh, learned a lot about business from Brad over the years. I've adopted many of his strategies. I've read most of his books. And um, as you can tell, he's a wealth of knowledge in business. This episode here is a landmark episode 
episode for the One Shop Movement podcast because Brad is regarded as, according to Entrepreneur Magazine, the number one business coaching business in the world. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure you give us feedback. Make sure you share the episode. Make sure that you get the message out there that you've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot. My name's Craig Schultz. I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast. Until next week, we will see you soon.